Hello, and welcome to the Scottish Clans Podcast. My name is Clint Edwards, and I'm excited to have you with me today. We are going to be doing a series of episodes discussing the origins of the Scottish clans. And by series, I mean these. each episode will be broken down into one of the ethnic groups that gave birth to the Scottish clans as we know them today. To, in the first of these series, we'll be discussing Dalriada, which was a Gaelic-speaking or Gaelic-speaking kingdom in the post-Roman time period. The, or usually the dates that are given for the earliest days of Dalriada, at least as, as the tradition has it, are in the 500s, <clears throat> maybe even the early 500s, and they would stretch up into the Viking invasions, which effectively put an end to the kingdom as a political organization. Now, later, kings of Alaba would claim descent from the primary kindreds of the Dalriada kingdom. However, it was no longer Dalriada. And that's the, specifically the group that we're going to be talking about today. Future episodes will be concerned with the other ethnic groups that give rise to the Scottish clans, as well as maybe some discussion on different regions that doesn't that category won't play along neatly with ethnic categories. So those future episodes in this series will include the Picts. They will include the Vikings themselves, as they I mentioned, they they broke down the political organization known as Dalriada, and they gave birth to some Scottish clans whose names you all are familiar with. We'll also discuss the Britons of Clyde Rock, later known as the Britons of Strathclyde, the Northumbrian Angles in southeast Scotland, as well as the Normans, who come along much later than the rest of these groups that we've been discussing. I don't know about much later, but, but later. Anyway, also we can discuss this by region. Northeast Scotland was traditionally Pictish territory, and we'll look at maybe which clans developed out of there that we don't have, you know, we, we don't have clear documentation that they came in from somewhere else. They developed in place, and maybe we can wonder if they have a Pictish origin. We also talk about regions as it pertains to the Scottish border country. It's a really, really interesting part of Scotland and the clans and, and their, their, you know, how did the people in that region develop clans? And did they look similar or different from the Highland clans? If so, what were those similarities, and, and how did the tribal system develop along the border? Um, I'll, I'll, we'll discuss how that, that was actually a different development than it was for those clans that developed out of the Western Highlands. But those will be for future episodes. Today, let's discuss Dalriada. Now, Dalriada, I'm not going to give a... I don't even give a podcast on Dalriada. What I want to do is maybe talk a little bit about Dalriada and then discuss how that would relate to specific clans that may have come out of that. 
Now, when I, when I talk about ethnic origins for the clans of Scotland, I understand that this is not a neat and tidy subject. You can't say that this one clan were all Gaels, they were a Gaelic clan, and, and this other clan, they were, they were all Viking blood, and that, 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 that doesn't even work with this. I guess all I'm really saying is their founder or founders came out of this group of people and assuming that the patriarchal line continued unbroken, then the chiefs of this clan would be considered from those ethnic groups originally. Now there's a lot of clans that that patriarchal line did not continue unbroken. And the Gordons are a perfect example. I mean, you, they are, they are all, that group is all over the place, and people inheriting through the female line, I mean, it was not very many generations into the, that clan's existence before the chiefs adopted the Gordon name, but they're really Setons. And then you have a junior branch of that family that becomes Earls of Sutherland, and so you've got the clan Sutherland, but you've got the Gordons who are actually the Earls of Sutherland, and because that they inherited through the female line, you can also discuss the Clan Hatton. How did the Macintoshes become the captains of Clan Hatton? Well, once again, inheritance through a female line. So, so this patriarchal line, and going back to a certain ethnic group, I understand that that's not tidy. However, I do think it's relevant, and so we're going to discuss it anyway. So bear with me. Um, if, if nothing else, maybe these, these, this series of podcasts that deal with the origins of the Scottish clans um, could generate discussion, and we can, we can go from there. And, and I'm fine with the fact that I do not know every single thing there is to know about this. Look, the, the primary scholars who I'm getting most of my information from on this subject and who write about this time period, meaning the post-Roman up through the Viking Age and into the early birth of the Scottish nation time period, those, those professors mostly, those be, that would include names such as Alex Wolfe, David Dumville, David Brune, James Fraser, I believe John Bannerman has written some that pertain to this time period. Uh, there are others, and if I have specific thoughts as we go through this, then I'll mention those too. Now, let me, let me give one just thought off the top of my head about the kingdom of Dalrieta. You know, you have, and by the way, as we talk about this, it really helps to have a map out. So if you are near a computer, now if you're driving, please don't look up a map on your phone and look at the map, just focus on the road. However, if you're in a position where it's safe, to get your electronic device, whether it's a phone or computer, and look up a map of Scotland, and you can zoom in on some specific places there, that would be super helpful as we're going through this, because geography plays a huge role in discussing these topics. So, as it pertains to Dalriada, they are one of four early ethnic groups in the post-Roman period of what would become Scotland. Now, later on, you're going to have a couple of other groups added that mix and they do contribute to this uh, this scenery of Scottish clans but these four basic groups 
before the Vikings show up, post-Roman era, are the Gaelic-speaking kindreds of Dalriada, the Britons of Clyde Rock, the Angles of Northumbria, and the Picts, who, as far as we can tell, are the indigenous population. Now, language is spoken. Angles, they would have spoken something that would become Anglo-Saxon or Old English. I just finished reading Alex Wolf's book, From Pictland to Alaba, and I thought it was a very, very interesting book, especially at the end where he starts tying all this narration together and just summarizes how we go from Dalriada and Pictland and change into what would become the kingdom of Alaba and what happened to Picts and the language shifts and all those stuff, all that stuff. Anyway, it's really interesting. And so that's a, that's a pretty good book if you're really interested in this time period. He doesn't just talk about the Dalriada and the Picts and the merger of the kingdoms and all that. He gets way into detail about Anglo-Saxon kingdoms and Viking Dublin and the different Viking elements that were what was going on in the British Isles at this time. It's, it's, it was a really informative read. Anyway, you have so that the, the people of Dalriada speak Gaelic. The Picts think, speak what most scholars, due to place name evidence as well as personal name evidence, proper noun evidence leads us to believe that the Picts spoke some version of a P-Celtic language. So this would be the same branch of the Celtic language family that would give us modern Welsh and Breton as well as the revived language of Cornish. So um, there were some really interesting conclusions that Alex Wolf drew about the relationship between the Gaelic spoken by the people in Dalriada and the P-Celtic language spoken by the Picts and the degree of mutual intelligibility, intelligibility. Bear with me on that one. Anyway, I, I felt it was really interesting in how those kingdoms came together. Anyway... Picts speak some version of P-Celtic, Dalriada, Gaelic, Britons of Strathclyde, maybe another version of P-Celtic. We don't know how close it may have been to whatever the Picts were speaking, but the Britons also spoke. In fact, the Britons lend their name to this whole branch. Another word for P-Celtic would be Brythonic. Anyway, and then the Angles of Northumbria and Another fascinating thing about this book, this Piklan to Alaba book that Alex Wolf wrote, was he discusses the degree or how similar Anglo-Saxon would have been to Old Norse and how those might relate to each other. So a note on the language in Dalriada, one of the one of the interesting conversations that are going on in this scholarly world there is did was was Gaelic introduced by settlers from Ireland or did did Gaelic develop in place in what would become Dalriada? There is a, a, a person that I read an article by Ewan Campbell 
who argued, if I remember correctly, this has been a few years ago, and I, I don't have the name of the article right off the top of my head, but I'm trying to give credit to the author. You and Campbell argued that there was no evidence of an invasion, no archaeological evidence of an invasion by Gaelic speakers from Ireland into this the Southwest Highlands Isles area of Scotland that would become Dalriada. So he believes that Gaelic is an indigenous is just as indigenous to that area as it is in parts in Ireland. Um, Alex Wolf offers a counter theory there, and once again, I don't have the exact article in front of me. I'm just kind of going off of things that I remember reading once upon a time, and he says that. The Ptolemy's map has a group called Epidii there in this, this geographical area that would become southern Dalrieta. And he notes the, the Epidii the, with a P in there instead of the, the K sound produced by a K or a hard C and says that they're probably originally P-Celtic and the P Celtic speaking and adopted Gaelic. And so you have a, you don't have a transfer of population at all, which would satisfy the lack of archeological evidence for an invasion. You just have a group of P Celtic speakers in Southwest, Southwest Highlands and Southern Isles there. And by Southern Isles, I don't mean that in the North sense. I mean that in the like Isla and the peninsula of Kintyre and that area, you have native Picts, P-Celtic-speaking people who would have adopted Gaelic. And one of the arguments that Alex Wolf makes in Pictland to Alaba is that the people, the, the P-Celtic and Q-Celtic branches of the Celtic family, they weren't as different as we sometimes assume they were. He argues that when we look at the differences between these two branches of the Celtic family, we're usually looking at Welsh versus Irish and using those for the comparison, which may not be an accurate comparison for the two language branches as they developed in Scotland. Anyway, Dalriada, they speak Gaelic. However, they came about it. That's what's spoken there. And you have four kindreds that are the primary kindreds that are mentioned by the contemporary sources in in Dalriada. There might there might have been may have been more than than this, but these are the ones who are mentioned the most often. First and foremost, you have Kenel Navrain. The word Kenel, for those of you who are not uh, maybe new to this subject, is is a Gallic word that signifies a kindred or a group of, that's not a literal translation. You can, this would be easy information to look up on a Google search, but the kindred of Gabrain. And then the way that Gallic works there, and, and I gotta admit, I'm not a, a fluent Gallic speaker or even a conversational Gallic speaker. I have some phrases that I've learned in it, and I, as much as I've studied this stuff, you have to learn a little bit about it. But trust me, Gabrain goes to Canel Navrain. Even if I was a mo fluent in modern Gaelic, that wouldn't mean that I would have a perfect grasp of Gaelic as it was spoken in this time period. So I'll do my best. And if any of you are fluent Gaelic speakers and you do know exactly how this is pronounced, please feel free to 
chat me up on on the the Scottish Clans Facebook website or the Facebook page or the Scottish Clans uh, web page that I'm, I'm developing at this time. And it should be by the time this podcast this, this episode is actually published should be up and going. So check that out. Anyway, Canal Navrine, the original kings over all of these Dalriada kindreds would initially come from Canal Navrine. And where this this particular kindred comes into play and is relevant to the discussion of Scottish clans is that first of all later the kings the people who have become the kings of Alaba this McAlpin dynasty they would claim descent from this kindred of Dalriada so when the that means when the vikings came in and they disrupted the kingdom of Dalriada Okay, so Dalriada as a kingdom ceases to exist, but these kindreds push east. Now, this doesn't mean that the Vikings came in and wiped out all Gaelic speakers. They didn't. Um, or, or that the Scandinavian culture in all of the isles was completely shoved out Gaelic. There's indication that Gaelic continued to be spoken, more or less depending on which part of the isles you're in. But this, the ruling families of the Canal Navrine move east and they intermarry with the royal Pictish families. And now you have a group of people that are heirs to both thrones, are, are culturally interactive in both societies. Uh, I'm reminded of the Campbells, who were a Highland Scottish clan, a Gallic clan, yet whose chiefs very adeptly learned to maneuver in lowland society. And they could operate in both cultural spheres. Um, although you might argue that that was even more of a feat. If Alex Wolf is right, and the P Celtic spoken by the Picts and the Gaelic spoken by the Gales of Dalriada, they weren't that much different and it wasn't a huge language shift and he did say it was comparable or comparable however you want to pronounce that to the old english old norse spectrum so these uh these later kings this first this first dynasty of the kingdom of alaba would trace at least later scholars would trace and claim a Canal Navrine descent for the McAlpin dynasty. But we understand that the McAlpins would have been, had a healthy element of Pictish in their family tree. So, but that's the, we're talking, I guess, more linguistic here. So the Canal Navrine, they provide most of the kings of Dalriada in the earlier period. Now, it's not just the McAlpin dynasty that would would assume a descent from Canal Navrine. We have the the Macduff Earls of Fife would also claim descent from this group, and so by virtue of that, there's several clans like the Macduff. As time goes on, they don't like out, out in the 14 and 1500s in this later time period, they're not a major clan. But back in the earlier days of the kingdom of Alaba and into the early days of the kingdom that would become Scotland, 
they were a big deal and they were the earls of Fife. And there were major clans that would go on to become notable clans that trace their descent from the Macduff earls of Fife. And by virtue of that, then would go back into the, these Pictish families as well as the Canal Navrine. And these clans that claim descent from the Macduff earls of Fife through different directions would be the Macintoshes, the Shaws, the Farkersons, so those elements of the clan Hatton, as well as the Weems, the Scrimgours, and the Spens would also claim descent from the Macduff Earls of Fife. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, next you have the Canal Lorne. The Canal Lorne become a bigger deal within Dalriada as, as you get to the late 600s, early 700s. By the early 700s, now they're starting to contribute people from their kindred to the throne of Dal Riata. So it's not just the Canal Navrine by this point. Now, later on, the Mormares of Murray, the Mormare is a title that would later become Earl. And we're not, I'm not going to go into the background of, of Mormare, but the Mormares of Murray, later the Earls of Murray, were thought to descend from the tribe of Canal Lorne. They, in, in their origin, before they started to spread east or north, they, their religious center would have been on the Isle of Lismore, which continued well up into the early modern era as a seat of ecclesiastical authority. So that, that was originally a Canal Lorne religious center, and possibly the royal center would have been at Denali. And Denali's had a, there's been a fort there for a, a really long time, even before the McDougals come in later and put a fort there. Now, the Canal Lorne, they contribute their name to the region of Scotland that later becomes known as Lorne. So, there's some evidence of continuity there even pushing through the Viking Age. You don't see that with Canal Navrine. I mean, not as far as donating their name to a place name within Scotland that I know of. Another kindred of Dalriata that donated their name to an actual location that we it is still known by this name today is the Canal Comgal. Now their name, through the different language shifts that occurred over time, gave us Cowell, the Cowell Peninsula, which was the homeland of the Lament clan, as well as a few others. But they were the, in, in Cowell, they were the major clan in that area. Now, I'm not telling you that the Lamonts claim descent from the Canal Comgall. That's a different story, and we'll get into that some other time. The Canal Comgall's religious center was at Kingarth, and possibly a royal center for them would have been at Danoon. Now, Canal Comgall and the, this little portion talking about them is a good opportunity for me to discuss how I feel about using Wikipedia. I know that, first of all, don't deny it. I know, I know y'all use Wikipedia. We're not going to cite it on papers and turn it into our professors because we know what would happen if we did that. However, we know we, we all use it. Wikipedia is good to get familiar with the topic. 
Now, if we want to get scholarly about it, I do think Wikipedia still has its use, although we would not cite that down in our bibliography or our references. What it, where it is good in this case is that many of the Wikipedia articles are well cited. And I, when working on my master's degree, and I live in the middle of nowhere, as I mentioned in the episode regarding my, my background, I, I had to do everything online. Very, very few of my sources were, came from hardback books that I actually purchased. And, and especially that's true when I get to working on my thesis. And so I used the heck out of Wikipedia. Now, did I cite it in my references or bibliographies? No, I didn't. But, like I said, there's all sorts of citations, and in the, in the references down at the bottom of the Wikipedia article, a lot of them are actually a link that you can just click on, and you can go to, in many cases, a more scholarly source that was used to, to create that Wikipedia article. Alright, so now that I've got that out of the way and my feelings on Wikipedia, no, I don't have problems about looking up a Wikipedia article. I am aware of the flaws. Some of them are not well cited. And I'll get, I'll get into the uh, Wikipedia as a source for individual Scottish clans and their histories later on. However, I just want to talk about this as it relates to Canal Comgall. The Wikipedia article on this kindred says that a Canal Comgall heiress married Anrahan from the Canal Nogan out of Northern Ireland. Goes on to say that the descendants of this marriage between the Canal Comgall heiress and Anrahan eventually formed the clans of the McNeil of Barra, the McNeil of Argyle, McLaughlin, McEwen of Otter, and McGarricher, later known as the Clan Lamont. No source is cited regarding this heiress. Now, a problem with this claim is that if Anrahan was living in the 11th century, the 10 hundreds, and, and Anrahan marries an heiress of Canal Comgall, that means that Canal Comgall was still existing as a recognizable body in order to have an actual heiress. And I'm not really sure that 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 was the case. I don't know for sure that they didn't exist that long. And they're, you know the fact that they gave their name to the peninsula of Cowell does imply some degree of continuity there. So I'm not ruling it out. I'm just saying, where are you getting this information, Wikipedia? Where does that come from? I don't know. So take that for what it's worth. I just, just a little tidbit of information that I found there. The geography is right. I will say that. Anyway, moving on to the Canal Ongus, or Onyas. I'm really trying hard to learn these, not only modern Gaelic rules, but an older form of Gaelic pronunciations. Canal Ongus, this, this kindred was settled, uh, centered in Isla. Now, later authors would say that this is where we get the part of Scotland that would become Angus. And then you have the, the Douglas becomes the Red Douglases become the Earls of Angus. And that's this part of Scotland. They would originally, these, these authors that are writing, and we'll, the, probably we, we deserve to do a whole podcast episode on 
the sources that we get most of this stuff from. And I intend to do some of that and get into um, John of Forden and Boyce and, I don't know, there's, there's, a, there's a handful of other people who are writing in circa the 1200s, 1300s, that, that area, so well after the fact. And so we're not saying that their information is any good, isn't any good, but I, a lot of the scholars that I'm reading, they point out problems with taking everything they write at face value. So, did Canal Ongus or Onius contribute their name to Angus, the region of Angus in Scotland? I don't know, but some of the some of them claim that they did. That that's where you get that name. In fact. This this group will claim that the these different kindreds from Dalriada would migrate eastward, and they assign different spots in this new kingdom of Alaba. They claim that the the leaders for that part of Scotland would come from these different tribes of Dalriada. They just the, the Dalriada as a kingdom ceases to exist, but the, these leading kindreds that I've just talked about push east and are given positions there. Alex Wolf says that would be possible because in the not very far past, before this kingdom of Alaba gets going, there were huge um, casualties from Viking invasions in these areas, which would have opened up some vacancies as far as leadership in these certain areas for these uh, Gaelic-speaking MacAlpins, who who do who do tie into the Pictish royal families as well, to appoint some of their favorites in these positions, and and Alex Wolf implies maybe also that, or or states that maybe some of these positions were fill, filled by a person named Garrick who conducted a coup against the McAlpin dynasty. Now, the McAlpins would later get their throne back, but this Garrick instituted some, some things, some changes within this that they couldn't just be undone. So, the, uh, there's a map in this on page 228 on this From Pictland to Alaba by Alex Wolfe. And the map shows some of the claims that later authors would make about these, these Dalriata tribes. That it puts Canal Comgal down in the vicinity of Clackmannan. It puts Canal Navrine right near, that's where the Firth of Tay comes in. You have the Canal Ongusa, where modern day the territory of Angus is now. The canal, there's another, there's another uh, kindred mentioned here, and I don't know a lot about them, Canal Conning, and they puts them right up there in um, the, the part of Scotland that would become known as Buchan. And then the Canal Lorne is more over toward Inverness between between uh, Forest and Elgin and Nairn in that area and Inverness up in that, on the south, south of the Murray Firth. Anyway, so did they, did they exist as kindreds and set up there? I don't know, but that's what some later authors claim and, 
and Alex Wolf mentions that in his his book. So there's there's just kind of a an overall background of the major kindreds of the kingdom of Dalrieta and maybe some little comments in there about how that may relate into the origin of some of the Scottish clans may have developed out of these primary kindreds. If you're going back to the, the Lorne question, I forgot to mention specific clans that may tie back into that. At that point, you'll be looking at the Mackenzies, the Monroes, maybe the Rosses. Uh, was it the Monroes? Maybe not the Monroes, but Mackenzies and Rosses. Some of the ancestral lore gives the Mackenzies, that would, you'd also include the Mackays, or if you're in America, the Mackays, or really if you're in some parts of America, the Mackies, but the Mackays, they some sort some people believe that they descend from the these more mares of Murray, and then some people claim that the Mackays and the Forbes are tied in and have a common descent, have a common ancestor. So that would bring the Forbes into this, and that would put them all descended from Canal Lorne if these clans are indeed descended from the Mormares of Murray, and if the Mormares of Murray are indeed descended from the Canal Lorne. So there, I, I mentioned that. Now, why does this matter? Well, it's interesting to, to talk about the, the origins of the clans, and are they coming from a history of tribal society or is it something that develops in place out of necessity? My understanding is that you have these clans in the highlands which are the most well-known clans. They inherited the tribal society and so we see this going clear back to the earliest days of Dalriata which is broken down into groups that formed around kindreds and I understand that not everybody in a clan or a tribe is related to each other. Definitely the upper crust of that clan or kindred they would have been, but they would have included some other people that they trusted that were not necessarily related to them. It was much more complex than just a big extended family. However, there is an either real or perceived kinship that these people are rallying around and that's the foundation of their society. And the Highland clans would have inherited that versus the border clans on the border between England and Scotland, my understanding is the tribal society that developed along that in that region really did so out of necessity. They didn't have any other choice. They weren't getting much help from either crown, England or Scotland, and they just kind of had to do for themselves. And so they rallied around their kin groups, and there you have the border clans. Anyway, just wanted to dive into some of the the early foundations of some of these clans and where they're coming out of. I hope you've enjoyed this. If you've got something you need to set me straight on, please don't feel feel uh, please feel free to do that. Don't hesitate. Get on either the probably the easiest place for a discussion would would happen on the the Scottish Clans Facebook page, which is up and going. And I'd be happy to hear your comments, your your concerns, your questions. Uh, this is just a discussion I've got to have. It's something I'm passionate about, and I, I want to talk about it. And I don't always have to be right. I know that there's a lot of people out, of the, out there that have studied some of this stuff in great detail and are 
and know a lot about this, and I welcome your contribution to this podcast overall. So thank you for listening, and go ahead and go on if you don't mind. I would love it if you could go on iTunes and and like like this uh, this podcast. Give me a give me a review. That would be so helpful. I appreciate it, and you have a good day. <laughs>